That was uh, Emmanuel von Lee, uh, documentary filmmaker. His focus is uh, spirituality, spirituality, uh, uh, spiritual ecology. Uh, his father, Llewellyn von Lee, uh, a Sufi teacher and uh, running a, a Sufi center in Northern California. Uh, it was fascinating. I, I, I loved uh, how he was describing the subject matter of his films, and I will make uh, every effort to uh, watch at least uh, some of them. Uh, I guess most stuff now, Phil, is online somewhere uh, once it's made. Yeah, um, or a lot of things are, you know, so still most, you know, a lot of documentaries uh, are uh, proprietary, you know, because they're made under the auspices of uh, PBS or HBO or whatever, but eventually, you know, they become accessible. Right. You, so you know, it's great. It's interesting. He mentioned uh, in the interview about um, during our generation how Eastern knowledge came to the West. Of course, that was the subject matter of your book, uh, uh, you know, American Veda. Uh, and now he was posing the question sort of what does his generation do with that knowledge and how do they utilize it in a way that will be beneficial, you know, for people, for the environment, for everything? Uh, is that something that uh, you have uh, given a lot of thought to yourself because you sort of are the expert on what took place? And, and I would think you have some very deep insights of what might be happening going uh, forward. Yeah, I th well, I, I, that's too flattering. But um, I think his assessment uh, of the generational differences may be uh, quite accurate. You know, we've had spiritual activists on uh, before. We've had Marianne Williamson on right. three times and uh, Andrew Harvey and others. And they're of our generation. And, you know, they are among the people who have led the charge uh, to uh, awaken our generation of spiritual practitioners uh, from, you know, a, a certain degree of self-centeredness and, and narcissism, you could say, that entered in where, you know, people were focused on their own uh, spiritual development. And, you know, they were perhaps doing good things in the world, but it was not necessarily of a political or, you know, social activist nature. Um, and that may just have been a reflection of the times. Because, you know, people like, look, I'll just use myself as an example. When I was, you know, in college age or even after, I was a social activist. I, you know, I was marching against the war in Vietnam and all that. When I became a spiritual person, I just, you know, found the, the inner peace and the, the growth of consciousness to be so appealing and so refreshing, you know, that I just wanted to dwell in that. And, you know, things changed after a while, and we focused on, on our lives and our spirituality, but now, you know, we're in a crisis. Right. And a lot of people woke up in the last, you know, it's not new, it's not just a Trump phenomenon. You know, people like Marianne and Andrew, you know, have been beating this drum for 10 or 15 years or more. Um, and so has um, Llewellyn Von Lee, especially around the environment. Uh, that spiritual people are living in the world and, you know, we should not neglect our duties as citizens while, you know, cultivating our spiritual life, that we have to bring whatever gains we've made internally uh, out into the world in some form or another. So uh, I was very pleased to hear him say that um, the spiritual 
people of his generation um, are uh, more socially aware. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it, it's uh, uh, like you, I was a social activist and then got frustrated, felt it wasn't going anywhere. Right. I got involved in spirituality. So if you want a green forest, you need green trees. I'll go inward and forget about uh, the marching and everything else. But I think now we're at a point where uh, maybe that was a good period. Uh, but now we have to do both. As Marianne Williamson said, if you want to uh, sit down, you better be able to stand up, uh, referring to people going inward. And then you've got to uh, demonstrate that humanity, that spirituality outwardly. And I think we're certainly at that point now. And I'm glad to see that there are folks like Emmanuel of uh, the upcoming younger generation uh, that uh, are feeling that, that are moving ahead with that. And uh, the torch has been passed. You know, one other thing he said that was interesting was uh, when he was growing up, he was immersed in this uh, Sufi uh, spirituality in his house. And it was like a, a meditation center. And he was doing it. Yeah. And then when he was around 14, he thought, you know, I don't know if I'm, this is, I, I have other things I want to do. I want to rebel a little bit. We had Claire Hoffman on, who wrote the book about yeah. uh, growing up in Fairfield, Iowa, in a uh, spiritual community, and she was, you know, gung-ho into it, and then when she was around 14, same age, she started really questioning and, uh, and challenging it, and, and I think in both cases, as they got older, in their 20s, 30s, whatever, uh, they started uh, reevaluating and thinking, okay, th this is what was good about it, this is what was not good about it, uh, let, me, uh, let me take the good and leave behind the not-so-good. And uh, let me let me benefit my life with it. Let me educate my children in those things that are that are valuable. So it was interesting to I, I felt a comparison there between the two. Yeah, um, uh, from what my memory, uh, uh, Emmanuel seems to have gone through that phase of rebellion and and return earlier than Claire did. Uh, but it's not uncommon. I mean, in my research of you know people. Um, the, the dedicated spiritual people of our generation raise children, and like all, you know, teenagers, they're going to start questioning their parents, and in some cases, rebel, and uh, that's what many of them do. And some return, some return, or find their own path to, you know, a different path than their parents to spirituality. Some reject the whole thing as, you know fool's gold and, you know, go full bore into sex, drugs, and rock and roll or whatever. Uh -huh. and, and, you know, it's like teenagers of any other stripe. Right, right. I, it, it, it's, in the uh, long run, yeah. they do well. Yep, uh, you get the whole nine yards. One, one thing different these days is uh, in our generation, there was a much bigger generation gap. Some of the stuff we were involved in and we're thinking and discussing and all, our parents really, really couldn't relate to. Whereas now, I think uh, if you're uh, an adult and you have a teenager or a uh, college student or whatever like that, uh, even if they're doing stuff that's very out there, you have uh, some greater ability. The gap is less, I think. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's less of a gap now. Well, I think you're right. I think the difference between um, the baby boomers and the millennials, you know, to use those kind of categories, their children, is less uh, than it was between, you know, the, the Great Depression and World War II generation and the baby boomers. I mean, because, you know, the world had changed so radically. And, uh, you know, just think of it in terms of music. You know, 
um, people today can hear the rock and roll of the 60s and 70s, and it, it's not foreign to them, right? you know, even though they grew up with hip-hop and all that. Whereas, you know, people who, uh, the baby boomer generation, there was a vast difference between right. the sort of uh, music their parents listened to and rock and roll. Um, and and probably and technologically and you know the world was you know really it was a great upheaval, so maybe that helps account right, for it. Right. Well, on one on the other I, hand, oh, yeah. What, you one, know, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, one I thing I wanted saying, to ask you before I forgotten <laughs> that was uh, you seem to be familiar with that uh, ceremony that he captured in one of uh, or he's working on in the in a, in a oh, documentary. Yeah. What is that? I I don't I can't say much about it. I just remember I I took some anthropology classes back you know when I was a student, and the the uh, Native Americans of the Northwest had this thing called the potlatch ceremony, and they you know all the different tribes you know there'd be these occasions when they would get together, and all I remember is it was a sounded like this fabulous ceremony of, you know, togetherness and peace among different tribes. Uh, but there was a lot of food involved. And uh, I, started, I, I you uh -huh. know, brought this great food. And I, I, I'd like to know more about it, you know, or refresh my memory of it. But I would love to uh, actually see his film because I only read about it. But it it was, it was so appealing to me at the time of this great, you know, sort of communal oneness. Uh, we think of Native Americans as being, you know, homogenous. But, you know, there's a tremendous diversity among them and tribes were tribes. And, and they would come together on these occasions. Oh, a lot of it was food. Interesting. Uh, well, I look forward to, to uh, uh, watching some of his documentaries uh, and hopefully they're available online. Well, Phil, till uh, next time. Okay, my friend. All right, over and out.